Thank you for being here again. What a great morning to celebrate the risen Christ. You know, Easter is a big deal. The very fact that on a cold morning like this, a time where it's uh, dark when you get up and start leaving your house, you know, the folks that come out to a place like this come out for a reason. And the reason is because we know this, that this is the special day called Easter, and it's special for this reason. Because Christianity is validated. It stands or it falls on the validity of the resurrection. No resurrection, we're foolish for being here. But we believe in that resurrection. Many wonderful resources that we can go to, and I'm not going to do that, but to go to, to give all of the reasons why we can believe that the resurrection is real. I want to take you to one text of Scripture to begin our time, and that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a very ancient and historical writing from the Word of God. It reads like this. Listen carefully. Paul speaking says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and then it says this, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. He appeared to Cephas, then to twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until right now. Some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles. And last of all, as it were to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. From that point, he continues to tell us what's at stake. If there is no resurrection, what really is at stake? And he mentions three things very vividly. I'll just list them for you. The first is simply this. He says, our purpose for living as Christians would be absolutely invalid. He says in verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain, but your faith also is vain. He then mentions about our freedom. He says our freedom as Christians would be imagined. The freedom we have from sin. He says in verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith, it's worthless. You're still in your sins. You may think you're not, but you'd be in your sin. Nothing would have changed. And then the third and final thing, he mentions about the assurance that we have as Christians. It would be impossible the assurance of eternal life. In verse 18, he says, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, they would perish. All this hope that, oh, when we die, we're going to be in heaven. We're going to be in a glorious place. My loved ones that have died, they're in heaven now. I'm going to see them again. Oh, that's not true. Not if Christ did not rise from the dead. So he goes on to complete his thoughts. In the last two verses, 19 and 20, he says, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. We're just foolish. But he ends saying, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. You know what I just mentioned? I mentioned purpose, freedom, and assurance. You know, I don't have a conversation with someone who is trying to understand the Christian faith 
without bringing those three things up. Two weeks ago, I started with a, a new made friend that I am meeting with on a weekly basis. We're just talking about what does it mean to be a Christian? How do you become a Christian? All new, not something he's very familiar with and the detail of what we're talking about for sure. The first thing I said is, the question is this, do we need something more? Purpose, freedom, assurance, the great three commodities of life. Let me tell you, you and I like, we are driven every day of our life to say, give me purpose. I want to be free, not the license to do what I want to do. I want the ability to do what I should do. And of all things, I want to know if I die this day that I'm going to be okay. All of that hinges on this one thing we know of as the resurrection. My biggest concern for us as Christians is that as seekers and Christians alike, doesn't matter, that we fail to really comprehend what I call the Golgotha reality. Golgotha, which is the place of the crucifixion, the Golgotha reality. We're in a series here. This ends the series today. The series we're in is United with Christ. This Golgotha reality I'm about to share with you, that truly is what it means to be united with Christ. And to do that, I go to Matthew 27 the very familiar story that precedes what we have as the, re the, the story of the resurrection. Verses 11 and 14, Pilate, who is the Roman governor, uh, he has questioned Jesus now. He's been arrested already. Jesus has been arrested and explains that. You come to verses 15 and following, and here we have what I call the Golgotha Reality. It's really the story of a man named Barabbas. Some of you may have been with us 13 years ago, and I shared this story then. I share it again as, to me, one of the most important stories of all the Bible. Because it really gives us the insight to understand what does this mean to be united to Christ? What does it really mean? Maybe the best way that I can help you to see it and feel it and understand it is maybe to pretend for just a few minutes. I'd like to pretend, if you would allow me to, that I am Barabbas. And somehow, some way, I've been able to come back and now this many years later, be at your place of gathering and share my story as one who actually saw and witnessed what we're talking about and this thing called the Golgotha reality. Were he to come back, and were he to talk to us, I think he would maybe do, say, something like this. It was an early, early morning. I'll never forget this morning. I'd like to say I'd been asleep, but if I had, I'd just dozed for minutes at a time and would wake up with this pit in my stomach, this fear that I'd never felt before because, you see, this was a day of my execution and I knew what was coming. I was about to be crucified. 
And I was panicking with every thought, knowing any time now, because the sun was beginning to rise. And I was listening as from a, a great distance away, but I heard this, this sound of a crowd. And they were calling out. They were, they were screaming. They were saying something. And, and I heard him say, give us Barabbas. Well, Barabbas, that's my name. See, I was, I was the worst of all people. See, I was, a, I was a zealot. I hated the Romans. I had lied. I'd stilled who knows how many things from people from the government. I had murdered on behalf of my cause. You name it, I'd done it. And I had been caught. I had been sentenced. And now it was time for me to be crucified. At that moment, I hear the sound. I assume, as I was correct, coming for me, the steps of soldiers. They stopped at my cell. They opened the cell. They cuffed me with chains, hands and feet, could still walk. And they began to escort me out and I knew where I was going. I was going to my execution. But we went to a place that we know it as Antonio's fortress. It it was a a big place and it had had this, this big arena area. And I didn't understand because they, they took me there and they, they stopped and, and we, we see Pilate. He's, he's on this little balcony overseeing a mass of people who have been screaming and we want Barabbas, we want Barabbas. And with that, I, I looked and, and he held his hands out to hush the crowd. And he said something I'm not really sure what he said. I I missed it in part, but at that point, he said, who do you want? And once again, they screamed out, Barabbas. That's no shock to me. But then he took a basin of water and he began to wash his hands, kind of ceremonially, I guess. I don't know. And he mumbled something. And at that moment, he said one more time, who do you want? And they said Barabbas. And with that, I'll never forget the moment. My chains were let loose. And I stood there as if I had been freed. I turned and said to the centurion, what are you doing? He said, you're a free man, pal. You don't deserve it, but you're a free man. I, I had to figure out what was going on. I began to ask, but they, they all began to move as a crowd. And I began to follow, and, and they come now to the arena area, and there's this, there's this man, a very strong-looking man. And, and, they're, and they're beginning to do something, and they begin to... They began to beat him. They treated him as if he were were not human. Uh, They began to to mock him. Uh, He was was bloody all over. I I can't even describe what they must have done to him. 
And then they, they took a, if I say what it is, it's a crown, but, but not like you would think of a crown, of thorns. And if I say thorns to you, you think of, no, no, these were like inch and a half, like needles for you folks today. And they pressed it down on his head until blood was streaming down his face. They were then treating him as if he were some kind of mocked king. They put a purple robe on him before long was just drenched in the blood that covered his body. They put a reed, oh, you don't know what a reed is, you know, a staff, kind of like a scepter as if it were a king but being mocked. They, They blindfolded him. They blindfolded him. And then they took that reed from his hand and they would pop him across the head. I couldn't believe how he even withstood it. And I I had to find out, who is this man? What? Why in the world him instead of me? And people would scurry away as I would get close to them because they, they they didn't want to talk to me. Everybody knew who I was. I had a reputation. But I finally got a few people. I said, who is this guy? And I found out it's Jesus, the Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, well, listen, I'd heard of him. Everybody had heard of him. Some kind of trickster. He was a magician of some sort. He supposedly did all these crazy things. But, you know, the religious people today, oh, let me tell you, they were so gullible, they would believe anything. And it was, it was as if he was this God-type person. But you know what? I'd never heard anything but kind of good things about him, that he was very kind, he was doing wonderful things. And so I would begin to ask, tell me about this Jesus. Would you tell me? What, what, is this, what did he do wrong? What did he do wrong? And all I could hear was maybe he had lied or misled people. I mean, I, there was nothing, nothing to appear to me. I just couldn't imagine. What has he done With that, they began to all move. He is given a crossbeam of the cross upon which he would be hung. And he began to head up not a mountain, but a hillside. And I know he'd been hit pretty hard. I I saw what he, and I knew he was bloody, but when I saw him fall to the ground, I thought, well, he's maybe not as strong as he looks. Until I heard somebody next to me say to me in a snarly way, you need to know that man, he's been scourged. And I said, scourged? This man, in addition to everything I saw, he was scourged. I don't know if you know what scourging is, but they would strip you bare. And they would take this thing called a cat of nine tails, and it was a little handle with strips of leather coming out with little pieces of metal that are as sharp as you could ever imagine. And they would whip him, but not like you would think of a bull whip. They would take it, a big centurion would take it slowly and just let it wrap around his body. And then with all the strength and might, he would pull it away and it would literally take off strips of skin. They did it 40 save one, 39 times, because they found the average man died at the 40th. And he was still kicking and going. I couldn't believe it. So I had to follow, and I we go to this place called Galgotha, and as I get up there, they're 
there are three big holes dug and, and the upright beams laying on the ground beside them. And then each of the two others that happened to be there that were prisoners as well, just like me, but oddly enough, not as bad as I was. They were thieves. They'd done things bad, but nothing like I'd done. But for some reason, they stayed and I'm free. And then I began to watch them as they strapped them to the cross beam and put the cross aspect on the upright beam and laid them on the ground. And then they all began to together push up with ropes pulling. And I knew what was going to happen because those holes, they're two, three feet deep. And it would just slide slowly until boom, and it would hit the bottom. You would just see it take the breath out of these guys. But you know, when they got to Jesus, they did it a little differently. I mean, a lot differently. There were no straps. Instead, for this guy, they must have hated him because they put his hands down on that cross beam and they took these spikes and it would be something like you would think of as a railroad spike today. Not any little small thing. And they took this mallet and with one blow, wham, right through the fleshy part of the wrist. You could see the grimace, hear the scream. As one hand, then the other, and then the feet, the same thing. And then probably the worst thing that I saw of the day as I noticed as they began to push that up, I said, how is he going to withstand this as that slides and hits the bottom of the hole? And sure enough, it began to slide, and most people would turn their heads. You could literally hear the flesh as it tore. It was the most awful thing I'd ever seen or experienced in my life. I mean, they had it out for this guy. And even with that, it didn't change. Nothing changed. They kept mocking him. They kept spitting on his feet. I couldn't believe it. And all I could think was, that man was just nailed to my cross. Well, it was now about nine in the morning. And all of a sudden... He spoke, and he just cried out as if looking up to the heavens. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I thought, forgive them? Let me tell you, if that was me on that cross, I'd be spitting back, I'd be cussing everyone I would have been doing anything and he said forgive them I've never heard of such I've never seen anybody like this guy then the thieves and they'd been giving it to him too but one of them changed uh, changed his his way of speaking and he said something like forgive me I'm sorry forgive me And this Jesus said, today, you will be with me in paradise. I didn't understand, but it just blew me away. With that, I saw this man. Apparently, I heard his name was John. Apparently, Jesus' best friend. And he was there with a woman they said was the mother of Jesus. And then with the deepest of compassion that you couldn't imagine if you'd not 
If you'd not seen and heard him, as he said this, he looked down at his, at his mother and he said, woman, behold thy son, and son, behold my mother. And he was saying, take care of my mother, my dearest of all. And he wanted to make sure his mom was taken care of. Well, everything pretty much stayed the same except mocking continued and all the things the soldiers were doing. But all that changed about high noon because when 12 o'clock hit, without any warning, it just got darker and darker until it was pitch black. There was no light. It was like an eclipse as could not be imagined. And with that darkness, all of a sudden, there was a, a rumble and the ground began to shake and it was as if, it was as if the, the world were coming to an end and everyone fell to the ground and covered their heads and wondered what was going on. And then all of a sudden, we hear this Jesus as he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But you know, he said it as if he was really saying he knew why, but did the people understand why? Then he said, I thirst. All they give him was a little sour vinegar on a sponge raised up to his mouth. And then he said, which was shocking to everyone because everyone knew with the, a crucifixion, you died of suffocation. It's from hanging there at a long period of time. But he cried out as he looked up to heaven. It is finished. Father, into your thy hands I commit my spirit. And with that, I'm telling you, he was dead. I mean, it was obvious he was dead. But it was such a shocker that they actually took a spear and one of the soldiers thrust it into his side. And sure enough, he was dead. He didn't flinch. One of the centurions who had been so frightened by the quake and the darkness, he looked up, and I'll never forget what he said. Truly, this was the Son of God. This was the Son of God. And my thought, my thought was, He died on my cross. He died in my place. You can search the annals of history. Nothing more about this man, Barabbas. He briefly enters the biblical record, he submerges into obscurity. And why was he included? This brief vignette presents in encapsulated form what I call the Golgotha reality. Simply put, and listen carefully, good is not good enough, but good can become righteous because each of us is a Barabbas. And let me just share the two ways very briefly. Each of us is a Barabbas, we have debt, a moral debt that has to be paid, just like Barabbas. You see, Barabbas' name, Bar Abba, Bar son of Abba father, son of a father. It's a generic name, position inscription, representing every single person, you and me included. His politics, he was a zealot, I've already mentioned, all that he had done. 
He had been caught, convicted, and sentenced to death. In the Bible, you know, most of you know, it's very clear that every person has broken God's law. Every person has the penalty of death. We're all carrying an incomprehensible moral debt, and it just grows by the hour. What Paul called in Colossians a certificate of debt. Hebrews, it says that we're going to be accountable for that. Everyone is appointed to the day of judgment. But for some reason, many of us as Christians, many of us still swallow the biggest lie ever perpetrated on human mankind. That goodness can in some way affect the debt that we have. And at the day of judgment, our goodness will be to our advantage. It's what I call the performance trap. Christian, many of us are in a performance trap right now. We're still in some way believing that if I just do good, God's going to love me more. It's not true. That's what it means to be united to Jesus. It means that now his righteousness has become us. It's become ours. And the reason is because of the second of two points, and that is each of us, like Barabbas, can have the cross of Christ cancel our moral debt. This is the way he said it in Philippians 3. He said, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And listen to this last verse. And may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul says it another way in 2 Corinthians 5. He made him who knew no sin to be sent on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So let's go back to the resurrection as we close. When I learn, if I do, that my greatest hope in this life, my very greatest hope, has been shattered. If and when I hear that I've lost a child or I've lost a grandchild, that moment that I'm on my deathbed, I just need to answer two questions. And these are the same two questions that every one of us need to be able to answer with great confidence. One, did I give Jesus my certificate of debt? And number two, did Jesus really rise from the dead? See, I like to think of it like this. It'd be like Jesus on his way up to Golgotha, seeing you or seeing me, and stopping, and each of us carrying an invisible to us but a very real certificate of debt around our neck, our moral debt. And Jesus stopping and calling us by name and saying, Hey, whoa, 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 can I have that certificate? Would you give it to me? In exchange, I'll give you my full righteousness. 
And some of us say, no, 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 I, I need my righteousness. He says, no, 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 give it to me. Give me your goodness. It's worthless. But give me your debt. And that's what I'll pay for. And so he takes, as he takes it from us, and he asks the centurion, can I have one of those spikes? And he takes it to the cross beam. Bam! And he hits it. And he says, paid in full at my death. Folks, that means we're united to Jesus. We're his forever. But we need to answer those questions. Do I really know that I've made that exchange? I've given him my certificate of debt. The way you know you have is because you'll have the freedom in your own heart to know that, you know what? I'm becoming righteous. And I'm fully righteous in the sight of God, but I'm living out that righteousness little bit by little bit. When that happens, I don't care who's died. I don't care if I'm about to die. At that moment, I'm just asking those questions. And if I can say yes, I've given that certificate, and yes, he did rise from the dead, then I win. And you win too when you say yes and yes. I don't know if any of you have perhaps drifted from the church. Maybe this is a kind of a beginning back for you. I love the words of Cyprian, mid-200 A.D. He said, He can no longer have God as his father, who is not the church as his mother. And so I'd say to some of you, come home to Mama. She's ready. You need her. Perimeter is a great mama. Not perfect, but truly exceptional. And any of you here that are seekers, you need a spiritual journey. You need help in that journey. You need a spiritual family. And I'll make the offer to any of you who say, I really am a seeker. I have not made that exchange to the best of my knowledge. I don't understand it enough. You contact my assistant Jackie at Perimeter.org. And you just tell her, say, I'd, I'd like to meet. If you're truly in that case of being a, a seeker. You're female. I don't think it's wise for me to meet. But I have somebody very prepared as well as me. A woman to meet with you as well. Also, I invite any of you that are true guests to the church as you leave. There'll be a little book called The Answer that I've written that gives the things that I share with people over the table as I'm talking to them and helping them investigate Jesus. Feel free and pick up a, a coffee, a, a copy. We would love for you to have it. With that, you have a great Easter. May this be the most special Easter in the world. Because it's embedded in your minds, you can't forget the Golgotha reality. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your love for us. And we pray that you would grant us now to make that swap if we hadn't, if we have, to realize it in such a way, in a fresh way, that this reality would hit us forever and ever. And Father, in fact, we would be able to say with great confidence, you are my righteousness. I am united to you. 
So thank you for your goodness, for your love, and for this special day. Bless it, we pray, in the great name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.